Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week Kate and I are discussing her one of Kate's papers that she just got published and it's such an interesting read uh, it was published in the frontiers in veterinary science and uh, the name of it is engage and enjoy investigating predictors of employee engagement and work satisfaction in equine veterinary professionals now the authors on this are LT, or how do you say that first name, Kate? Yuteke uh, Elt. Yuteke Elt. Kate Acton. I had to get that one in there. Jessica <laughs> Martin, Miriam Neolin, Renee Van Weeren, and Inga Wolfram, which Inga was one of our lecturers at the University of Edinburgh. And we have done many, many of Inga's uh papers here on the podcast. So uh, as Kate said, she has a beautiful way of writing up this research. So Kate, is this open access? It is, yes. Okay, great. And I would uh, encourage everyone to read this. It's a great read. It will kind of give you in a look at thinking what is your veterinarian going through today or when you need them and they seem to be somewhat maybe impatient or maybe they're fitting you in. It kind of gives you a look at at, uh, their life and the stresses that they may may be going under um, at a time when you think you need them and uh, you're calling on their time. So um, I'll read a portion of the introduction. Um, Individuals working in the field of veterinary care are regularly affected by their profession. High levels of responsibility to often provide life-saving health care to animals combined with having to manage owners' expectations and irregular working hours can cause considerable levels of work-related stress among professionals in equine veterinary practice. Now, Kate talks about on the positive side, uh, research shows that working in the veterinary profession can be rewarding and have a type of uh, personal fulfillment and personal well-being. But there's also been studies that have indicated oh, things like the equine practitioner undergoes high levels of depression. And so this was Kate's master's thesis at the University of Edinburgh. And it's really uh, enlightening um, when you look at the results and what she has correlated to be causes of some of the high anxiety and stress that you see in veterinarians. And I think this included registered veterinary nurses as well, didn't it, Kate? Yes, and veterinary technicians. So uh, people in equine veterinary, 
But like you said, Nancy, that was, I suppose the driver towards doing this research is, you know, one aspect is the levels of depression. And um, I suppose we can talk about it as levels of disengagement in work. We have a big problem with veterinary professionals across sectors, so not just equine, leaving the profession. Um, a huge issue as well with veterinary nurses leaving the profession where we see like a 45% turnover, I think it is, um, by year five. A lot of vets and nurses don't stay longer than five years in practice and they reach these levels of burnout. But for us to figure out exactly why that occurs, first we needed to figure out how, you know, get a baseline and figure out how engaged um, equine vets and vet nurses are. So that's where this kind of came from. And Yuteki was actually doing a PhD on it. So when I was doing my master's, um, I joined up with Yuteki to basically run this study and Yuteki is going to go on to do further research into it. So keep an eye out because there will be more um, papers coming from the University of Utrecht on this topic in the coming years. But Inga was my supervisor, Inga Wolfram, and um, Yuteki and I are joint first authors on the paper. It basically consisted of us pulling together a survey and we wanted to target the United Kingdom, United States and the Netherlands, but we had responses from all over the world. So in the paper, we have an exhaustive list of all the countries that got back to us. Um, and we wanted to just see how happy people were in general in practice. And it was actually quite enlightening um, because we found that Basically, work engagement and satisfaction can be looked at under four different factors. And when we look at those four different factors, we can see what kind of or hypothesize what really triggers people to be happy or engaged in practice. It's a bit broad to say happy. So I will point that out. <laughs> but to be engaged in your work um, and not to get into too much of the nitty gritty of the actual how how we kind of pulled this together because we had 31 questions but when it comes to statistical analysis to bounce 31 questions off of um you know location off of age off of work hours there's too many variables when you're doing that kind of statistics and you run the risk of having errors so we grouped our questions into factors. So we've four different factors, prize and purpose, company culture and relationship man with management, working conditions and compensation, and then team culture and learning possibilities. And in the survey, people just basically scored from one to five on questions such as it'll say a statement and you score it so I am proud to tell people where I work one to five whether five is you're proud or one is you're not proud Um, management recognizes strong job performance I am satisfied with the job related training I got it goes through all these different questions to try and get a picture of how happy people actually are in practice so it was 
a lot of work, <laughs> a big, a big undertaking. Definitely during my masters, I remember as my first research project, just finding so much information coming back from it. So trying to kind of focus that down into these four factors makes it a little bit easier to understand. So when I say pride and purpose, this is the extent to which personal core values align with the mission of the employer. Company culture and relationship with management, that's the manner in which staff members interact with each other and the management. Working conditions and compensation, that's formal employment conditions relating to responsibilities and rewards and levels of collegiality. And then team culture and learning possibilities is the encouragement to pursue personal and professional growth in practice. Yeah, and I think looking at this paper and these four factors, I think you could apply this to any animal business because even if it's a a pet food and grooming store, if you're not getting satisfaction out of these four factors, I mean, you're less likely to stick with them long term. And I think just about anything with an organization, I mean, even a zoo, you have to be satisfied in these four factors. So I thought that was really neat, Kate, the way you tied these four factors that pretty much reach into every sector of working within an organization. Um, I was kind of impressed too that you got 518 complete responses and um, you know, most of them were from the UK, but you also had so many. I mean, and I think the fact that you included technicians and veterinary nurses as well, someone could look at this um, that, they're thinking about entering these professions. And this would be a great guide for what school you might decide to go to. And then once you graduate, what practice you decide to hook up with. It's interesting to note that if someone owned their own practice and were considered an employer, they were happy in all these factors because they run the show. And, you know, of course, they're all geared to to their system of satisfaction. So, but as an employee, you know, you have to kind of uh, meld or, you know, what's it called? Kind of like... um, conform almost to that's it yeah the standards that are set and that that was actually one of the findings that surprised me in the research because at the time I think my bias was that employers were actually less happy just from personal experience where I worked in places where employers seemed to be under incredible stress and so I had you know hypothesized in my own head that it's going to come back employers are going to be super unhappy, but we found that they were happier and it is autonomy that plays a massive role. And that's something that you can take forward and use with your employees. Not everyone can be the boss, but you can give your employees a sense of autonomy, let them make some decisions, let them be part of big decision-making too, you know, and let their input guide decisions you make in the practice or in you know that area of work because it is one of the factors in our three psychological needs 
So for us to have um, effective human functioning and wellness, we have three psychological needs, according to self-determination theory. So it's relatedness, competence, and autonomy. And that's just the ability to control your actions and your behaviors. But a lot of the time, employees will feel like they don't have any control. And I think another element that kind of stacks onto that is if you're in a practice where your values aren't aligned, that can have a huge amount of stress as an employee because you not only feel out of control, but then you're feeling like you're having to do work that you don't agree with. Mm, that's a good point. And, you know, how many times has that happened to each of us in, in any of our endeavors? And, um, you know, it was interesting that 19% of your respondents were the employers and um, the rest were employees. Now, um, you mentioned about the shortage of equine vets. Um, Kate, in your experience, what do you think the solution is to that? Because even in the United States, the amount of equine vets available to horse owners, it's really uh, less and less as time goes on. So what do you think about the future of equine vets and um, people making that decision to own horses? Um, sometimes they're based because you can't get hay and you can't get a vet to come out to your farm. So um, mm -hmm. talk about that for a little bit. I think, um, so we'll maybe have some clearer answers in the coming years when more research comes out. There are definitely suggestions that I have for it. But the thing I really want to highlight is when we think about a vet being unhappy, like it's what image is conjured up in your head. And to me, I picture like a practice where there's a vet in there and they're overworked or they're underpaid or, you know, there's all these stressing factors. But this shortage of equine vets is actually a worldwide problem. So it's not one individual environment. It's not one individual practice. We have a systemic problem with vets and vet nurses leaving the profession. And we need to address that bigger problem to be able to correct this. I would say there are, there are smaller elements definitely that make a big impact. So we mentioned autonomy and having choice at work. Um, teamwork is really important and having um, your values align with the practices values. One that I think um, owners don't realize a lot of the time is compensation is a huge aspect. Like vets are not paid as much as people think. I think the general public have this perception that vets are very highly paid. Um, they certainly aren't. And I'm sure you can go ahead and look up wages. If you look up veterinary jobs that are being posted, a lot of the time they don't even put a wage on them, which is something that we're trying to fight in the industry because we need transparency in pay um, to try and get fairer pay. A lot of veterinary nurses and vet techs are paid minimum wage and they're working massive hours. I mean, if you take a yearly salary for a vet and you break it down to how many times they're up during the night, how many times they're having to come out to emergencies or stay back late, and they do get paid for those hours from their employer. It's not that they don't, but it's that 
it's not as lucrative an industry as people would think. Drugs cost a lot of money. You know, the overheads that are involved in practice cost far more than um, owners realize. So actually the margin is really small. It's not the employer's fault that the vets aren't paid as much. Um, in some cases, it absolutely can be. I mean, some don't pay enough um, or will take advantage of um, less experienced professionals. But overall, it's actually the industry that is that margin is just quite tight on because of the fact that we we really struggle between wanting to provide this care and trying to make a living off of it. I think that's one of the biggest difficulties veterinary professionals have because not there isn't a single one of us that wants to say no to a client. And the bare minimum that we will always and forever provide is to relieve suffering. But we want to go above and beyond for every patient. And it really is difficult when you have clients that can't afford treatment and you're trying to help them or you have clients that may not want to pay for certain treatments um, or don't see the value in the skills that you're providing. I think there's a lot of different elements that kind of tie into what causes it. But the thing that really stuck out for me is it's not just one place it's happening. It's, you know, right across the world, we're having this problem and pet ownership is increasing you know, month on month, year on year. So the demand and the pressure is increasing the entire time. Yeah. And what do you think, Kate, since we kind of focus more on horses on this podcast, what would be your advice to horse owners or a horse professional listening to this podcast um, to make things less stressful on their own veterinarians when, um, you know, they're needing a vet to come out, what can they do to help that be less pressure on that vet? I think, um, I think the first thing to know is that it is an absolute vocation and the vet does care. And it's never that your animal's not important. So if you ring up and, you know, you tell the vet what's going on with your horse and you're demanding a vet comes out straight away, the vet the nurse, the receptionist has the expertise to take the information you're giving them and determine where they sit in a triage list. So if we have one vet that's available and we've got three emergencies ring in, we have to prioritize on what is more severe. Um, So I think that can cause a lot of frustration for owners where they don't understand, you know, it's, I know myself, like, I can see it from the veterinary perspective. And then when my dog is sick, I absolutely see it from the owner perspective where <laughs> you are just panic. You're just sitting watching them breathe because you're so stressed about them being sick. Um, but just understanding that, that they're, they are valuing and they are absolutely taking um, what you say seriously, but it does come into a play of what is, I suppose, the more critical, time-critical emergency. And that will sometimes mean you have to wait to be seen. Um, I think the other thing as well is have good management practices. It is very difficult as a veterinary professional to get a phone call on a Friday evening 
and to be told, you know, the horse has been lame for two weeks, but now it's an emergency. Like, it's super frustrating because it's like, you're calling us at the 10th hour. We've still not finished surgery. We haven't finished all these other things. And you're demanding that we come out to see the horse for an ongoing lameness or something like that. So I think client education um, is key. And, you know, horse owners are actually very highly educated about their horses um, would be my opinion again when it just when it comes to equine because horses are expensive and so delicate as animals horse owners do tend to know what's going on and you know they wouldn't be the the main culprits in practice for leaving things to the 10th hour but that can be a struggle as well. I would say the main thing is probably just the waiting times. And I know that's super frustrating for people, but asking, you know, what can I do in the meantime? Yeah. And, you know, they'll, they'll give you some advice. They'll tell you what you can do. You keep monitoring. And that's so important as well, because then when the vet does get there, you can say, well, if you're able to take a heart rate, brilliant. If you're not, you can learn how to do that. You can YouTube that. Um, and you can be able to give a little bit more information and a little bit more background when they get there. That's a great answer. Um, I also wanted to um, add that out of your 518 respondents, 437 of them were female. And of those females, uh, a lot of them that were married felt more strain in their commitment to their practice. And I think that says a lot. Now, some of those that were married and had dependents, um, they, you know, it could have been an elderly parent or an elderly relative Mm -hmm. as a dependent as well. But I think sometimes we don't realize that, you know, our veterinarians also have a family life at times. So I thought it was, um, you know, spot on that the ones that weren't married seemed to be more satisfied and uh, felt more satisfaction, I should say, because they're probably under less pressure um, to get everything done and then get home and have their family time. So, um, but yeah, I think that was super interesting. I'll let you actually finish your question before I ramble about it. Well, and I thought, you know, Uh, the sport horse medicine had more satisfaction in it for veterinarians and veterinary professionals than the racetrack side of things. So what do you think the reasoning behind that was, Kate? So for the relationships, um, you were spot on with what you were saying. People who were married or in a couple and that was with or without dependence, and um, we're less happy than single people. And we could maybe theorize it's because of the demands of the job. Someone who's single um, doesn't have pressure to be at home maybe at certain times. Like they can obviously still have hobbies and have their own life outside of that, but there's no one that they're necessarily letting down. And um, so that can play a role in it. Because initially I thought if you had a partner, if you had someone else, you had support. So maybe that would improve your satisfaction or your engagement. But we found that people who identified as single were able to put more into their pride and purpose when it came 
to the job. Um, when it came to the sport horses, then this was super interesting. So we hypothesized the reason why sport horse medicine is more satisfying than racetrack medicine is due to owner attitudes. So it's not to say that race on racehorse owners don't absolutely love their horses because there are racehorse owners out there that do. But it's where we start to toe the line between a horse being a commodity or being a business and being this sentient animal that is considered a part of the family. So I think that's kind of potentially we need to look into it further, but potentially where the crux lies with it, because money is always a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've seen this, you know, time and time again with veterinary employees. It really does frustrate employees for the, you know, they can't provide a service because the cost of treatment's too high. Mm-hmm. And we like that's from the heartbreaking, like almost charity cases where the owners don't have the money and we're trying to get hold of charities to support to get the treatment right up to owners who have a lot of money, like the race industry, but they've weighed up the cost versus the value of the horse and they don't see it aligning. So the treatment's not going to go ahead. And ultimately, the vets want to help the animals. So that is their driver to even be in the industry. Um, And I think it can be really heartbreaking when we deem an animal that could be rehabilitated, not to a level where it could race again, but it could be rehabilitated. And that animal could have a good quality of life, but that option is kind of taken away. And we do point out in the study as well, that jockeys are different and um, because jockeys spend so much time with the horses and they create such a bond with their horses but then they don't have any control over the veterinary care and veterinary treatment so I think that's another interesting area to look in like satisfaction levels and jockeys would be interesting too yeah and I think jockeys too they have um, a certain interest in the well-being of that horse because no one wants to experience a breakdown and mm-hmm. the jockeys are putting themselves at risk by riding a horse that maybe a vet is recommending the horse have a layoff but maybe the trainer and owner says ah you know we've got to keep running while the horse is fit and that that's always a it seems like opposing factors with one another and I I think you always have to go with the safety side of it because if you put a horse out there that's not a hundred percent you're you're risking the life of your jockey and you you know we should always consider that the life of the horse and the life of the jockey too so um, I think that is an interesting factor that you brought out that you know I was picky about what horse I exercise because breakdown happened during training and you know you you don't want to take that risk with your own life as well Um, in the least thing you don't want to create more pain in that animal so but um, yeah and we do see like when we just to kind of back up why sport horses were a little bit higher for the satisfaction Mm -hmm. and it was because there's research that shows 
typically sport and leisure horses are generally kept for longer. Uh-huh. So ownership changes more regularly in racehorses. So maybe the bond isn't created as well between owner and racehorse. And some owners are very hands-off. You know, they rely on the trainers and rely on the jockeys and they rely on the yards to look after the horse. So sport and leisure end up being kept out of feelings of love or friendship um, and almost become part of the family. Yep, yep, that's a good point. And then Kate, you've already kind of answered this question, but um, you said that you were surprised that employers had the most uh, positive um you know, satisfaction and the four factors. But what was the most interesting finding that was a a big surprise to you in researching this paper that you didn't anticipate to come across before you started putting the numbers together? I think what surprised me the most, um, aside from the owners or aside from whether someone was in a couple or not and satisfaction with work, was the kind of the smaller picture that we got back when we look at the individual data. So at the time I was still working in veterinary practice and I was at a point where I was ready to leave the profession. Um, I was lucky I hadn't burnt out, but I had seen many vets and nurses burn out and I thought it's time for me to make a career change. So I think from that point of view, I probably had a more negative view of how people were feeling. And I thought that the results would come back really dissatisfied. I thought we're going to have super low um, scoring on these Likert scales. You know, people are miserable. There's no way they're happy. And the lovely thing that kind of reaffirmed my faith was the responses came back and yeah, people aren't happy with everything in their job. There's going to be some factor that they're not happy with. But seeing people rate certain factors highly was just the kind of that little peak to say that there is hope to improve this. You know, knowing that people are proud to tell other people where their work, I just, I love that statement. And some people are super proud to tell people where they work or they were really proud of how, um, or they rate it highly, how their management recognizes their job performance or, you know, what opportunities there were for growth or um, their relationships with their co-workers. You know, there's loads of elements that really stood out that were great for some people. And you can look at this table and you can ask yourself these statements and you can mark yourself one to five on how you feel about them. And maybe have a conversation in your workplace. I know it's not always possible. And I know, you know, some employers and some line managers aren't open to discussion. But in those cases, that's where your values no longer align. And again, it's not always possible to change jobs. And in the current economic climate, I know it can be really difficult. But where we can make changes do. Um, I think sitting back and waiting for changes to be made is where we end up kind of in a more detrimental state. But overall, I think how I kind of wanted to round up or I suppose summarize the importance of this work, because I know it's really looking at veterinary individuals and the link is, okay, they're equine vets in this case. But why does that matter to you if you're listening? 
if veterinary professionals aren't engaged and if they do reach those levels of burnout, that's going to have a knock on on animal welfare and it's going to have a knock on on your pet as well. So where I gave the example, for instance, of those three emergencies and we've only got one vet, you know, we can't split them three ways. And if one emergency ends up becoming more exasperated and going on for longer than we thought, there is a knock on effect from that. And there's a psychological knock-on effect for that vet who feels like they're letting the animals down and they're not meeting those needs. And I think furthermore than, um, you know, potentially not being able to carry out treatments or making mistakes, because that comes with burnout as well. And even the best doctors make mistakes. We are all human, unfortunately. Um, I think... If we continue down this road and we don't value veterinary professionals more and we continue to see these numbers drop the way they are, then we're going to be left with more and more circumstances where we're trying to split one vet three ways. And that's going to have a knock on effect for your horse that's in your stable or your horse that's in your paddock. So it's it is really it's something obviously that I'm very passionate about because it's an area I did research in. But it's, I think, an area that owners just need to have a little bit more understanding behind because knowledge is key to change. And maybe just, you know, talking to your vet or even when they come out and they check on your horse, ask them how they're doing or like how their day is, little things like that. I remember working with an equine vet in Ireland who worked insane hours, absolutely insane. And we would stop at houses and the people like while he would be looking at the horse, they'd be coming out with sandwiches for him and cups of tea. And he would be literally wolfing them down and on to the next job. But just finding out little ways that we can kind of make life easier for each other, I guess. That is an excellent answer. And um, Kate, did you have anything else you wanted to add that maybe I haven't asked you or I haven't talked about yet? I think that was everything. And um, the paper is open access. So everyone is more than welcome to have a read of it. And um, even if you're not particularly interested in the ins and outs of it, that table, it's I think it's the first table that comes up in the paper that has the different statements. So if you're someone that's struggling in your own job right now, that's something you can have a look at um, and you might find that it makes things a little bit clearer for what it is about your job that you're struggling with. Um, but other than that, I think we've covered pretty much everything. Excellent. Read. Uh, it's so well written and is an enjoyable read, but really opened my eyes even to things I can do different when my vet visits or when I make that phone call. Um, I would highly recommend everyone. I'll put the link up and maybe we can even put a link on the Facebook page to the paper. And then that way people can access it from Facebook as well. Um, if you don't mind, Kate, if you, you know, I'll put that. Yeah, no, that's no problem. On um, it is, it is open source. So literally okay. anyone can jump on and read if they want. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what Yuteki is going to find out in the next um, months and the next year or so. And hopefully we can start to work towards a solution. 
Yeah, I think we I think it's more interesting when we discuss papers that we've written, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's much easier than reading a like 20 page paper from someone else. So true. And it's easier to remember. Well, and we can't get those people necessarily on to talk about the ins and outs and how what we were thinking would be the outcome and how we were fooled, you know, once we yeah. got the results back. So it makes it just tie together so much better. But anyway, thanks so much, Kate, for uh, talking about it. And um, I don't have any uh, updates or anything. We'll be back next week. We have a, an interesting paper for next week. So make sure you give us a listen uh, next week as well. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Nancy. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.